0: We're going to be looking at uh, John 11, and hopefully I sound less echoey as time goes by. It would be helpful if you keep your Bibles open to that chapter. And you see there when uh, Mason was reading that Jesus declares that he is the resurrection and the life. And it is because of the reality of that first Easter where Jesus was raised to life again from the dead. Uh, that gives the the power and the strength to these words that we see him saying here. Now, it's probably a familiar passage to uh, many of you, and if uh, that's the case, I want to urge you uh, not to you know jump ahead to what you know the conclusion is, but to you know step by step look carefully at what John tells us as he. Uh, reviews, details, and as he records uh, these things, what he tells us, just step by step let John uh, tell you the story afresh. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we thank you that we have your word. It is a word that you inspired through your Holy Spirit, your very words that you want us to hear and to know that concern the Lord Jesus, who is he, what he's done. So we pray for your grace to open our eyes that we may truly perceive, more profoundly understand that's what is said here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You might find the outline in the bulletin helpful. And you see the story begins with the call for help and Jesus' response. Verses 1-16 to Lazarus is sick. And Lazarus is from Bethany. And immediately when I tell you that, you know that Bethany is a special place. Right? Right? You know, right? You know why it's so special? It must be special. Because we name our church after it, it must be special. Um, Anyway, Lazarus is sick, and his sisters, Martha and Mary, send word to Jesus. They, They call for his help. Now, you might say, it doesn't sound like a call for help, but it is a call for help, all right. Lord, the one you love is sick. Come, come, Lord, come and help him, the one that you love. Now, how does Jesus respond to this call for help? He does two things. First, and uh, that's in verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So, word comes, Lazarus is sick, and Jesus declares, okay, this sickness will not end in death. And what is at stake is the glory of God, the glory of God's Son. So, that's the first thing he does to make this pronouncement. The second thing he does is in verse 5 and 6, where it tells us, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, some of you are using the older translation, where at the beginning of verse 6, it says, yet, right? And so, it, it seems to make more sense. Jesus loved them, yet, He stayed where he was. He didn't immediately go. Okay, but the actual word is therefore. It's actually so Jesus loved them, so he loved them, therefore he stayed two more days. So that's the second thing that Jesus does. He delays. He delays two days, and all this because he loved them. Now, why? What's happening here? Well, we will come to that soon. Now at the end of uh, the two days of delay, he announces to his disciples, "Okay, let's go. Let's go to Judea. Let's go to where Lazarus is." And then in verse fourteen, Jesus informs his disciples that Lazarus is dead. Now I know when Jesus says this is you know not a surprise to anyone because you've already heard the story. Okay, Lazarus did die, and and you know he's sick. And sick people die all the time, and in fact, people die all the time. So, it's not a surprise. But I want you to pause and just let this development hit you. Lazarus has died. How could he have died? Because didn't Jesus say in verse 4 that this sickness would not and in death. And, and, and what is at stake in this sickness not ending in death is God's glory. It's the glory of Jesus himself. It is so important that this particular sickness not end in death because so much is at stake. That was what Jesus declared. But now Je- Lazarus is dead. So what happens to God's glory? What happens to the glory of God's Son, so you see, John, at the beginning, is raising all these questions, and, and uh, he wants us to, to to push along with him in the narrative to see how all these questions are answered. And so we go on to the second point: Martha's grief and Jesus's response, verse seventeen to twenty seven. When Jesus gets to Bethany, he finds that Lazarus has already been in the tomb. How many days? Four days. Okay, he's okay. That's very important. Okay, he's been in the tomb four days. Now, when Jesus first heard that Lazarus was sick, he delayed how many days? Two days. Now, okay. Now, let's say Jesus did not delay. So, when he heard, ha, ah, Lazarus is sick. Okay, let's go. Let's go get my things. And then he goes there. So, by the time he reaches Lazarus, would be dead how many days? Two days. Okay, he. Okay. So, so whether he delayed or didn't delay, Lazarus would still have been dead. Okay, so why then did Jesus delay two days? Why did he wait two days before he set off? And the answer is, okay, are you ready? The answer is he wanted Lazarus to be dead for four days. (laughs) And there's a reason for this. And the reason is because there was at that time a Jewish superstition. Okay, now, I'm not saying that Jesus believed this, but, but at that time, there was this superstition that the Jews had, which is that when a person has died, the soul okay, will leave the body of the person and hover over the body of the person for three days. And only on the third day, when the soul sees that the appearance has changed. Now, why does the appearance change? Because? decomposition has set in. So, the superstition is that when the soul sees that the appearance has changed, then on the fourth day, it will leave and not come back. Then, the Jews conclude, okay, after after four days, if the person doesn't come back to life, it means he is truly dead. Now, this was the Jewish superstition. Now, I mean, obviously, this is the first century, medical science is not advanced, and you can imagine that there would be cases where People thought this person had died, okay put him in the tomb, but in the coolness of the tomb, the person who wasn 't actually dead, he came back to life again, and so you know all this superstition gets um, strengthened, and so Jesus waited two more days so that there would be no doubt at all in everyone 's mind that Lazarus is dead, dead. Dead. And remember, this is out of love for them. Now, Martha, of course, doesn't know any of this. And so when she comes to Jesus, she says in verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, it may seem that Martha is scolding Jesus, Where were you? Where were you? Where were you when we called you? Now, but I think that's being too harsh on Martha. What she is saying is more an expression of her grief. If only, if only you had gotten here sooner, if only you you were nearer, if only you had come sooner. And Jesus responds to her grief by saying, Your brother will rise again. That's what Jesus says. And I want you to notice the ambiguity of that statement. And what Martha thinks when she hears Jesus saying this is she's thinking of the end day, the the very end of history where every Jew, all Orthodox Jews believed in a general resurrection. When, 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 When God's kingdom comes in right at the very end, everyone will be raised again and the Jews will be raised to eternal life, and the the enemies of the Jews will be raised to judgment. They all believed in that end time, resurrection. And so, Martha thinks that Jesus is talking about that. And then Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now those of you who have been uh, following this series on John, uh, you might notice that often Jesus does a miraculous sign. He does something powerful, raising uh, someone who hasn't been able to walk, or giving sight to the blind, or or feeding 5,000. And after he does the sign, he explains the significance of the sign. Here, Jesus gives the explanation first. And then later on, he performs the sign to confirm. And so, the meaning that the sign, that the miracle that will happen later, that is meant to make clear, is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's saying he is the resurrection. There is not just some resurrection at the end some general raising. But no, He is the source. He is the power of that resurrection. That even though you die, you will live. There will be life after the grave. Death is no longer our enemy. I am the resurrection, Jesus says. And then the second part, He says, I am the life. Whoever lives by believing in Me will never die. Meaning that all those who believe in Jesus now, will have life now. Not just right at the end, but now they will have life. Now they will experience eternal life. And this eternal life is so real, it keeps going on and on and on, such that even though you may face physical life, physical death, there is such life in Jesus that those who believe in Him now, rightly, Jesus says, they never die. So Martha, who believes in this concept of that you know, end time general resurrection is now being challenged by Jesus to believe something more. That He is the one who is the sole provider. He is the one who is the source, the power of resurrection and life. Do you believe this, Martha? He asks. And Martha says, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God who was to come into the world. You see Martha hears what Jesus is saying and the only appropriate category she has is that, okay, okay you must be the Messiah, you must be the Son of God, you must be this king that God has promised would come that, that, that must be who you are. And so with these words the, the narrative pushes on to the next scene and that of Lazarus's death. And Jesus' response, verse 28 to 44. Verse 28. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her Notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So, just like her sister, Mary expresses grief using those same words. A painful recognition of just what might have been. Now see how Jesus responds. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. You see, Jesus was deeply moved and he wept. And the word for deeply moved, you might think is, you know, like pain and and, and feeling grief. But the word there is actually the word for outrage. That Jesus, he's not just feeling sad. He's actually feeling outraged. He's actually feeling angry. There's, There's an indignation. And he weeps. Now, why does he react this way? I mean, doesn't he know what he's going to do in five minutes' time? What? I mean, Jesus, I'm sure, did not suddenly forget what he's there and what he's going to do soon. He knows what will be happening. And so the anger and the tears is not because he's powerless in the face of this situation. No, the outrage and the tears is over the reality of death itself. You see, it is it is this outrage at death. This this death that holds all of humanity in its cold, hard grip. It is this death that causes so much anguish and wrecks so much havoc. It is this death that is alien to God's good perfect creation. It's like this. It's like having a grain of sand in your eye. And then you feel it's, it's not right. And only until you get that grain of sand out of your eye, then things go back to normal. And this death is like this. It's not meant to be there. It's not part of God's plan. And so Jesus is outraged at this death before him. And then Jesus asked to be shown where Lazarus is buried. And when he arrives there, he sees this cave with a huge stone before it, and he says in verse 39, take away the stone. And Martha, startled by what Jesus is asking, turns to him and tries to reason, hey, Lord, Lord. Decomposition has set in, I mean, it's the fourth day already. Okay, the body is starting to rot there is going to be a bad odor. It is going to stink. So Martha, by this statement, shows that she has not fully understood the conversation earlier on the road. And so Jesus asked her again, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And with that question, we return to a crucial theme of this passage Remember right at the beginning when when Jesus first heard that Lazarus was sick, he made this pronouncement, this declaration, this sickness will not end in death. No, 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 it is for God's glory and the glory of God's Son. But then we saw Lazarus did die. And the narrative, the story has pushed along, pushed along until we come to this point where Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So first we see Jesus praying, and then he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And the man who was dead comes out of the tomb. Now someone has said that if Jesus did not say, Lazarus, come forth, but simply said, come forth, all the tombs in Judea would be emptied. That is the power of the one saying these words. So you see, this this sickness, this sickness did not end in death. See, it did not end in death. Lazarus is alive. And so God is glorified. And God's son is glorified. But the question is, what has God's glory got to do with Lazarus coming back from the dead? That's the question. And to answer the question, we must see two things. The first thing we must see is that the raising of Lazarus is a sign. It's a sign. It's pointing to something. It has a significance, a significance. And in this case, as Jesus has already explained, it is pointing to him. This raising of Lazarus from dead to life again is pointing to the truth of what Jesus has already said that He is the resurrection and the life. And the second thing that we need to see in order to answer that question is to think about what is meant you know, when, when uh, you know, Jesus says it is for God's glory. Who well, is for God's glory? What does it mean? Now, we can wrongly think that it means adding to, contributing to God in some way. But of course, this could never be because there is no way we could possibly add to God, you know, uh, give Him something more. No, no, we could never do that. No, no, especially in John's Gospel when it said, when we talk about God's glory, it is talking about a glory that is displayed. It is talking about God as He truly is being revealed. So when God is glorified, it means that people see clearly more and more who God really is. It's not adding something to God, but God as He is being revealed so that people actually see and understand more profoundly who He really is. That is what it means for God to be glorified. And so back to the question, what has God's glory got to do with Lazarus being raised from the dead? And so, Lazarus being raised is a sign pointing to Jesus truly being the resurrection and the life. And this is actually for God's glory. And so this, this God, this true and living God who is, who is there, what is He like? He is this God who has sent His Son into the world to, to deal with this death that has come about because of our rejection of Him. Right, our rejection of this God who who is truly there, who is the living one, results in our death. That, that is a that is just penalty, the just judgment of all those who reject this God. But this God reveals Himself. He is this God who cares so much, who loves us, who is so full of mercy that He has sent His Son into this world to be the resurrection and the life so that this death, this alien thing can be dealt with. Once and for all. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If you believe this, you will see the glory of God. Well, some people see, and they put their faith in Jesus. But others, they run to the Pharisees and tell them what happened. And so this leads us to the fourth point. The Pharisees plot and God's purpose. Verse 45 to 54. In verse 47, we're told, the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now notice, okay, so these are like the, 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 the leaders, okay, the chief religious leaders. Notice that they do not deny the fact of the miracle Jesus had performed. They don't deny it. I mean, they, they, they know it's true. They accept that it's true. But what they are more concerned about is themselves. How they don't want Jesus to rock the boat, right? Their main concern is that they continue to hold on to their political power and prestige, and so in verse 49, the high priest, okay, the highest one of them all, he steps in. Okay, verse 49, Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. So that's what he said. And then John in verse 51 adds his editorial comment. And John says that he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So you see, Caiaphas, he steps into that conversation, and basically he says, you idiots! Ah, you know nothing at all. Right? Don't you know that it is better that one man die than this whole nation, should, you know, should, the, the, the havoc and chaos should be caused to this whole nation. And so what Caiaphas means is he's talking politically. Right? It's better that we do something to this man than, than, than this whole nation be in upheaval. Jesus must die in order to spare the nation political turmoil. Caiaphas understands it is either Jesus dies or the nation is in trouble. That's what Caiaphas meant. But John steps in and he tells us that God was using Caiaphas as a mouthpiece. God was saying his truth unbeknownst to Caiaphas, but God was declaring his truth. And God had a different meaning to those words. A meaning that John makes clear that Jesus was going to die. And it is going to be a substitutionary death. But not for political purposes. It is for a spiritual purpose. That Jesus dies so that God's people would have life. Because all of us, why there is death in the first place? Because all of us have rejected and rebelled. We have said to this God, no, 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 get out of my life. the world does not revolve around you. I want the world to revolve around me. All of us have said that to God and that deserves death. We all deserve death. But God in His mercy, this is, this is, this is His glory, that he's, so, he's a God of such love and abundance that He does something about this death. And Jesus comes to take the death of all of God's children. He dies so that God's people would not have to die. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's why these are not just you know, empty words that He's proclaiming. Because He is going to die. He's going to die as a substitute for all of God's people. And because He dies for them, they don't have to die. That's why He is able to give them resurrection and life. And all this is actually a display of God's glory. And this offer to be part of God's people is open to everyone. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be like, you know, you grew up in a Christian family. This offer is open to everyone. This offer is open to everyone regardless of what you have done. No matter what you have done in your life, you, you might think that, oh no, God could never accept me. No, no, do not think that this offer is open to you because Jesus, the perfect one, has died and is open for anyone to come and take up that offer to receive this life and have his righteousness given to you. This this offer is open to everyone. And if there are some of you here and you know that you have not yet accepted this offer, uh, there will be a video that will be shown at the end uh, of this service, which will talk about a course. It's called Christianity Explored, which is a very helpful course. And it is for people who want to find out more. Okay, this is, what, what, what I'm hearing about Jesus is interesting, it sounds intriguing, but I want to find out more. And so this course is to, uh, uh, to be helpful to you, so that you can come, and in a very non-threatening, helpful environment, find out more about what the Bible actually says about this Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about that video, because it was showed on Good Friday, um, there's this, um, you know, slightly chubby guy on the on the sofa, and his T-shirt reads, Video games ruin my life. But it's a good thing I have two more lives. Okay, I'll, I'll see, when you watch the video, you, you, you notice it. I mean, um, I don't know why I, I latched onto that when I saw it on Good Friday. But you see, right? You see, you see what's the mentality? The mentality is, okay, okay you know, if, if I have three lives, if, if I don't just have one life, okay, that life could be wasted, but never mind, I got a second chance. But equally, if you have more than one life, it means that you are not holding on to this one life. You can live this life for God. You can take risks. And so, The other upshot of what we are hearing Jesus say here, that if He truly is the resurrection and the life, then His people, those who say they believe Him, those who say that they say, Lord, I believe You are the Messiah, You are the resurrection and the life, it means that people who hope in Jesus can hope in Him, even when it seems completely hopeless. It means that people who who believe in Jesus can take risks. This is not just one life that I need to hold on to, you know, protect at all costs. No, because if He is the resurrection and the life, I can expand my life, I can, I can use this life all for what He has called me to do. You see, because all over the world right now and throughout history, God has been sending his people, those who believe and have come to know Jesus as the resurrection and the life, God has sent them, sent them to places where where death and evil seem triumphant, and yet He sends His people there. Filled with that life of Jesus, with the message of resurrection hope on their lips, and where once death and evil had the upper hand. Because of god 's power of the resurrection, now there's life now there can be hope and there is a story of this uh, couple that I was introduced to at the conference you sent me to last year um, they They ministered in the inner city of uh, Baltimore, you know which is uh, a place where you know a lot of gang fights, a lot of drugs, this and that, and they were a young couple, and this is a story of how god provided for them for 30 years with five kids. And uh, the wife writes at the beginning, I did not know we would scrape by just above the poverty line for years, that I would live with people who heard voices or had spent most of their lives in juvenile homes or prison, that I would share a house with women who sold their bodies, snorted cocaine, or whose boyfriends choked and punched them. I did not know my children would be lead poisoned, that their friend who ate at our table like a godson would not go to college with them, but to prison. I did not know that a little boy with no daddy at home who had baked cookies in my kitchen and hunted snakes with my son would one day lie on the street in a pool of blood. I did not know that several times a week my husband would wake up in the night, agonizing over whether we were going to reach this neighborhood at all. I did not know that depression would stop me. I did not know that when I was scraped raw, Jesus would heal me. That when I was broken, God would use my brokenness that he would use us in spite of ourselves. I did not know that I would witness a thousand resurrections, that church members who struggled to pay rent would adopt nieces and nephews to save them from drug-addicted parents, that a woman who saw a teenage mother roll her baby stroller into an empty house and abandon the baby there, would raise that baby as her own and give that child hope and life. I did not know that men who snorted cocaine could get clean and love Jesus, that women sexually abused by their fathers would be healed and would rescue other children, that Muslims from Iran, atheists from China, and Hindus of Indian descent would find Jesus and encourage my faith I did not know that they would become my heroes and friends. Now, what is the reason for this? The reason is because this this author is experiencing the reality of the resurrection through the resurrection life that has been given to the people around her. I have seen a thousand resurrections, she says. And as she says... Again and again, I did not know, I did not know. She did not know all these things when she started, when she took the risk and poured herself into what God had called them to. But at the end, she came to know. And you and I will never know unless we truly believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that that in Him, because we believe we have life, we will never die. And so we can pour ourselves out, we can go to places where, where it seems it's all broken, where it's all hopeless. But because there is resurrection life in us, God can make a difference. Because He has sent His Son, and His Son has declared... I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? May God help us to believe. Amen.